Grand Thrive Podcast, episode 159. Top tips for selling wholesale with Melanie Augustine. Do you want to grow a thriving, profitable handmade business? My name's Jess Van Den, and I'm here to help you do just that. I took my own handmade business full-time in 2010, and since 2013, I've helped thousands of makers, just like you, create and grow successful handmade businesses. So, are you ready to thrive? Let's get learning. Hey Thrivers, Jess here. Welcome to the show for another week. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm honored that you're spending your time with me here again. Now today I have an episode for you about wholesaling. So selling your goods to shops, boutiques, gallery stores. Imagine this, you walk in to your favorite beautiful boutique and there front and center are your gorgeous creations. How would that make you feel? I think it feels pretty amazing to walk into a shop and see your stuff there. It gives it this feeling of legitimacy. Uh, There's just this feeling of pride that your work is good enough to be featured in a beautiful space. And of course, all the things that go along with that, being able to sell your work to people you might not be able to reach any other way, getting your brand out there, brand recognition. There are so many benefits to selling wholesale. And today we're going to be talking about that. So if you've never thought about it before, have a think about it. Listen to this episode. See if it's something you think you want to do. If it is something you've thought about before, then again, have a listen because Mel is an expert. She's been selling her handmade jewelry via wholesale predominantly for over a decade. So a very long time. She knows her stuff. And in this episode, she gives you some insight into what that's actually like and why you may want to do that yourself. If you do enjoy this and you'd love to learn from Mel, then I recommend you come on over to wholesalenowhow.com and join us for the course. This course is a course that I developed with Mel to help makers just like you to figure out how to sell wholesale successfully. We teach you, you know, how to get set up in the beginning, how to make sure your pricing is on point, how to put together a catalog, how to approach uh, retailers, how to build a relationship with them, and so much more. Everything that you need to know to start and grow the wholesale side of your business, that's what this course is all about. It's a 30-day course. uh, It's a live course, so you'll be in there. We've got a private Facebook group for the Uh, for the course and you'll be in there with Mel and I and fellow students every single day of the course learning about how to be successful selling wholesale and there are so many benefits you know you get to let someone else do the selling for you (laughs) I think that's a big one for a lot of people you get to grow your business in a way that is much more difficult if you're focusing on direct um, direct sales to your customers, because by getting your work out into shops, you can get it into front. You can get it in front of so many more people. Especially if uh, another reason is if your products are, you know, if they work better, if people can see them or smell them, like candles and soaps. People really love to pick them up and smell them to decide whether they're going to buy them. Or if your products are big and heavy and difficult to ship, then selling via wholesale might be a really awesome avenue for you. Conversely, if you are an illustrator or an artist and you sell prints and cards, 
oh man, selling wholesale is such a good idea because you can just get, um, you know, a bulk lot of those and send them out to a whole bunch of different shops and earn income that way. So there are so many benefits. And if you haven't considered it, I strongly encourage you to think about how wholesale could grow and expand your business and bring you more income and more regular income. And if you do want to learn about that, come and join us. Head on over to wholesalenowhow.com. The course starts September 10th and registration finishes the day before. So hopefully you're listening to this before registration closes. Uh, This is actually the last time I'm going to be running Wholesale Know How as a live course. It will still exist. I'm not quite sure in exactly what format and that's a little way off yet. However, this is the last time in the foreseeable future. I'm not going to rule out maybe one day in the, in the far distant future bringing it back. But for now, I don't have any plans to run it again as a live course. What does that mean? It means that if you do access it later, you'll be doing it all by yourself. You won't have any support from fellow students. You won't have support from the teachers, me and Mel. You won't have the opportunity. Uh, there are multiple levels of this course. Uh, a couple of the levels you have opportunity to actually have calls with Mel and I and to have one-on-one time as well working on your business. So if that sounds like something that you think would make a big difference to you and if you want to get into wholesale I guarantee this course will help you do that and do it well. So come on over to wholesaleknowhow.com and register right now to join us for this version of the course. Now let's get into this episode with Mel. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, If you do enjoy this episode as always I invite you to make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and please do leave a rating or a review it would mean the world to me to hear what you think of the show. Hi, Mel. Welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Oh, thank you for having me. So I've talked a little bit about who you are, but I would love to hear from you. You know, how did you get started? A little bit more about your history and how you got kind of from where you were to where you are now. Yeah. Um, so I studied arts, visual arts, a um, long time ago at um, Queensland College of Art but that was actually in photography. Mm-hmm. But the wonderful thing about studying visual arts there is you weren't, you didn't study just purely photography. We we also did sculpture. I did printmaking. I did illustration. I did graphic design and, and lots of other subjects. So I think it was always instilled in us that creativity didn't just have to be one medium, which was great. Many years down the track, so I was a professional photographer for a while, Oh, cool. And yeah, and then that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. And then life took a funny turn. Um, I was actually a photographer pre-digital <laughs> and the world was becoming, going towards digital photography. And in those days, it was an incredibly expensive um, investment. Mm. And I sort of had one night and I went, okay, well, do I really want to do this or do I want to take a break? actually opened up a newspaper and it was a, an ad saying teach English in Japan I went, <laughs> yeah right <laughs> and so six months later I was living in Japan so that sort of then really started to influence the way I saw the world and um, my sense of design sort of came after living there for three years came back to Australia and I was actually producing um, handmade greeting cards of all okay. things so everything was handmade. Um, That's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. <laughs> and believe me, I learnt a lot of lessons that way. <laughs> Definitely lessons about pricing, etc. And so then I was selling those wholesale. 
and it was almost purely wholesale actually but most of my clients were actually through an agent right so I didn't just have the wholesale costs but then I had an agent's fee on top of that mm -hmm. so but my first ever um order sorry excuse all the ums <laughs> that's all right <laughs> my my first ever order that um my agent took my work to the trade fair he emailed me with an order for 2,117 handmade cards Holy that they moly. wanted in three weeks. What? Is that even possible? <laughs> it took me five. <gasps> um, and that was pretty insane. So luckily, sort of in those days, you know, friends helped out. Wow. Um, my friends had come over and, you know, just putting things in the plastic packets, yes. putting stickers on the back and and doing that sort of work. And I'd just order pizza and friends would come over and... <laughs> So I very quickly learned that I needed to hire staff. Yes. And, yeah, so that was that was lots of – learnt a lot along the way there. Mm. Anyway, um, then ended up moving over to Japan again. It still wasn't out of my system. And while I was there, I started my current label, Kimono Reincarnate. Mm -hmm. And it initially started with me purely selling the fabrics okay, um, right. for other people too. I was – sort of crafting for myself with these fabrics mm. but I was my my main business model was selling these fabrics mm -hmm. so I would go to the the gorgeous flea markets in Japan and buy the old kimonos that could no longer be worn and I'd take them apart and sell the, the fabrics to people like quilters and and those sorts of people awesome. so I then got frustrated with spending all my time helping other people be creative and I wasn't getting enough time to create myself yeah so Kimono Reincarnate, the brand as such, started with me making handbags from these kimonos and they went very well, yeah. but they were also very labour-intensive mm -hmm. and I would have these beautiful off-cuts and nice. I just couldn't bear to throw them away. So then I started <laughs> making little purses and then I had those beautiful off-cuts that I couldn't bear to throw away. <laughs> Um, and I'm, I've always been very jewellery obsessed mm -hmm. um, and I thought, okay, well, it's time to teach myself how to make jewellery. Right. So living in a country town in Japan, there wasn't much available for me to actually do face-to-face -face any mm -hmm. classes. So everything at that stage I learned was from the internet. Yes. So I was embedding those fabrics in resin and making jewellery that way. When I then moved back to Australia, moved back when I was six months pregnant, mm -hmm. my crazy little girl, <laughs> and crazy in a good way. <laughs> so I moved back to Australia and sort of after getting settled back in Australia, I um, started taking silversmithing courses yep. and learnt that way as well. So have sort of the brand has grown um, quite organically from there. So you've been through a lot of iterations, like a lot of business models, basically, or different businesses. You might even yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, my f I. Well, I started my first official business when I was in my third year of uni. So right. that was as a freelance photographer. Yeah. So I've sort of always done the freelance thing, but I think I've always been rather business minded. I think mm -hmm. I started my first business when I was about twelve. <laughs> <laughs> and what was um, that? 
I, I started collecting all the, the neighbours ironing and doing their ironing no for way. them. No way. Yeah, so awesome. I was always sort of quite independent. <laughs> quite um, entrepreneurial. So that was get a, a part-time job. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I used to find little odd jobs around the neighbourhood that I could do and to make myself some money. And, um, yeah, I just liked being independent. I th- very early on I think now you've just touched on something that I think is really important a lot of a lot of crafters who craft for fun and passion a lot of them think oh well maybe I can turn this into a business and make a bit of money but they've never done anything businessy before or they've mm-hmm. you know so then then they try and get into that and they get frustrated because it's a whole different mindset like it's almost like I mean, business is creative, I think, as well, but it's a completely yeah. different way of looking at things. Oh, definitely. And it can be really hard to make that transition from just a fun hobby into an actual business. And I think those of us who kind of have that entrepreneurial spirit or have done stuff like that before find it, that transition a bit easier. Yeah, I think that's true. And it's funny because it's almost – some days it's almost like the two parts, like the business part of me and the, the creative part of me are sort of pulling against each other. Mm. And you really have to accept that. I've, I was always sort of, I suppose, a little bit strange at school. I was very into art and obviously I went into art college. But yet people always thought that I was going to be a mathematician or a scientist because yep. they were actually my strongest subjects. So I've always loved sort of that math side of things. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I love a spreadsheet. Give me a spreadsheet <laughs> and I'm a I'm as happy as a pig in mud, seriously. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Whereas I know um, a lot of people who are very creative, you know, the whole idea of a spreadsheet or or maths is is quite scary. Yeah. And I think there's there's ways around that and whether it's actually finding a business partner Mm -hmm. um, if you're that terrified of it. Or finding um, finding help, sort of getting getting yourself a bookkeeper, you know, so hiring help, not actually getting a business partner, yeah. if that is so terrifying to you. But, yeah, business, a creative business, I wish I sat and just created all day and mm. I think that's the view a lot of people have. Yeah, that's so not the case. <laughs> no, no, there's a lot of sitting there sort of doing business and sort of a lot of admin and... Yeah, sort of marketing and all of that side of things. Definitely. So my question is because, you know, we're going to be talking a lot about wholesale today because I, with my jewellery business, I'm like 99% retail, straight to my customer online. But you are kind of almost the opposite of me is that 95-ish or so something like that percent of your business is wholesale. So what made you decide to focus on wholesale rather than direct retail? Yeah, for me, I had to grow. I was in a situation where I had to grow my business very quickly mm-hmm. and I didn't see that I could do that with retail. Retail sort of takes a lot more time to grow to mm-hmm. the scale that I needed it to be. So as I said, I, I came back to Japan when I was six months pregnant. We had our, our wonderful little daughter and then a couple of months after I was born, my husband had cancer. Right. So I was suddenly thrown in the deep end where I was in a situation where I had to look after a baby. I had to um, get my husband through a very aggressive treatment. Thankfully, it was successful and it was, you know, definitely worth it. Yes, that's awesome. (laughs) But I also suddenly had to be the breadwinner. And it wasn't just the um, what ended up being 12 months of treatment, Mm. but he then needed another uh, almost two years on top of that Mm -hmm. to recover. Um, because the treatment was so aggressive 
That's pretty intense, and, all that coming together at once. Yeah, it was. And it's it's funny when I look back on it and I think, God, how how did I do it? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> because my, my parents were living overseas at the time. Wow. Um, luckily, it was only New Zealand. So my mother would actually get my market schedule and she would fly over from New Zealand every now and then to look after my daughter. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, so... And even though I had, you know, so many wonderful friends who were wanting to help, we were in a situation because the treatment was so aggressive that we I we couldn't actually interact with friends, other friends who had children. Right, and most yeah. of my friends had children. Um, too much of a risk of, you know, sort of getting sick and infecting him and, and stuff. Yeah, so it was it was a thing where I just had to grow it very quickly. Yeah. I didn't have the choice. And you were highly motivated. Well, I suppose, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I had these these two people that I love so intensely that I, I needed to take care of. So, um, yeah, so that's why I sort of went the wholesale route mm-hmm. and I dove feet in headfirst. <laughs> but those analogies don't really work together. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was, I was bent over. Um, anyway. <laughs> So I just dove in and did my first trade fair and grew very quickly after that. So that kind of, did you know from your past experience that trade fairs, you know, would be a good way to go or was it just, you just kind of decided to try it? Um, I think I did. I had never, even though I had never done a trade fair, I had visited some before Um, and because I had been selling through the agent and I'd seen the results that he was getting when he was taking my work to trade fairs. So, as I said, I mean, my first order was for, you know, over 2,000 cards. So I sort of saw what happens at trade fairs and the the Mm. sort of the level of orders that you got. So even though I hadn't done one, I I kind of knew what was possible. So let's talk about um, successes and failures when you were starting Mm -hmm. out. Did you make any mistakes when you were starting out, kind of any big ones or small ones? I remember, well, big mistake in my first trade fair. As I said, I'd, ne- I'd never done one before and I assumed that people would be happy to order, you know, a, a number of owl designs and a number of floral designs and a number of... And it became very apparent my first morning of the trade fair that, no, they didn't, they wanted that exact design and they wanted this exact design. Right. And so I didn't have codes on anything. I just had themes. Okay. So it was a very quick rush to to get some sticky, uh, little sticky dots. (laughs) (laughs) Create a coding system (laughs) very quickly on my my first, you know, sort of the lunchtime of my my first morning. So that was interesting, um, but definitely the pricing. I think so many of us. I thought I knew what I was doing with the pricing, mm-hmm. but I didn't take into account all of those business overheads. Yeah, and didn't realise just how much of an influence they were going to have on my prices. So I'd taken into account all the materials and that sort of stuff, and allowed a little for um, overheads, mm-hmm. but not nearly enough so I've had to sort of raise prices a few times and yeah to get to where I need to be I'm about to raise again a little bit as well awesome so I mean that's something that I think you know we all make a mistake with our pricing when we start out generally yeah and 
especially when you're selling wholesale and you get these massive orders and then you have to sit down and make them all and you're like, you get sometimes can get to the point where you're like I'm really not earning enough money to be doing this like it's not yes. worth <laughs> the amount of work I'm putting in here and that that can often be a bit of a catalyst for people to put their prices up I think yeah yeah definitely and so that's you know coding obviously that was a good lesson to learn what do you think was the most important thing you got right when you launched into wholesale well for me I think trade fairs were right for me mm-hmm. and I know it's not the same for everyone and I'm I think it's partly the way that I sell mm-hmm. is I'm a bit I'm terrified of actually going up for approaching people saying hey I, I make fantastic stuff buy from me mm-hmm. whereas for me the trade fairs fit with my personality in that I mean I can talk I can you know, <laughs> I, I can talk but I'm not very good at initiating that conversation right. in terms of sales. So whereas at a trade fair, rather than me having to go up to people and trying to sell, you're in your booth, people who are interested come in and have a look, and it's very easy then to say, okay, would you like to know more? Mm-hmm. So I think for me that suits my personality so it's kind of a less oh. aggressive sales style than having to reach out to people individually and say, hey, yeah. here's my stuff. What do you think? I think so, yeah. yeah. Yep. That's cool. So, I mean, I've visited a trade fair. I've never done one. So yep. it's definitely a different vibe to a, a market, uh, you know, a kind of a different. retail market. Yeah, yeah, completely different. And selling at the um, at the trade fairs, again, sort of that first morning, you know, I was so used to doing craft markets and you have these – these lovely sort of meandering conversations but people are there for work and they've got hundreds of people to see mm-hmm. that it's it's in it's out get it done no yeah. nonsense yeah, yeah i mean some you know especially over time some of you stockists you really develop a relationship with and you have you know have these fantastic conversations but it's definitely a different way of selling so uh, just a question like whenever I've, I've done wholesale a little bit but only people have approached me and asked me yeah. and the kind of i'll do you know one order or whatever but I've never really thought about maintaining the relationship with a stockist I'm kind of like if they order once I'm like that's great whatever they'll Mm. come back to me if they want and sometimes they do but a lot of times they don't Mm. and I think that's probably my fault for not actually being actively um actively reaching out to them again yeah 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 once you I mean I think they say the same about a customer it's easier to sell to the same customer than it is to get a new customer yes. and with wholesale it's really important to keep up that relationship mm-hmm. um i don't do it as often as i should to be honest mm-hmm. i try to sort of email everyone every couple of months yeah. and just sort of tell them what's going on it's it's nothing full on yeah. but it's just a reminder and the number of times within sort of an hour or two um or the next day of me sending out that email i'll have a flood of wholesale audits that's definitely a high leverage activity then isn't it yeah yeah and it's it's really funny you know like i try to travel back to japan every year or two and usually i'm gone for you know for about two weeks some my last trip was only one week but I send the, you know, the email out saying, oh, by the way, I'm going to be away out of the studio for, you know, this week or, you know, these couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And everyone panic buys. <laughs> and it's really funny because I'm actually only gone for a week. Yes. And they know I'm only gone for a week. Yeah. But it's, it's like, oh, no, I better get something in before you go. 
And also, actually, before I'm doing another trade fair, I sort of email everyone out and let them know where they'll find me and, and whatnot. Oh, that's good. But they know that after a trade fair, there's a real lag mm-hmm. because I, I'm inundated with orders. I might have 40 orders on my book suddenly within a couple of days. Yeah. So then I've got to create all those orders, so it takes me a lot longer to get work out. So I have a lot of orders from existing stockists mm-hmm. before that trade fair because they knew, know otherwise they're going to get caught in the... Um, the backlog? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all good. I think I need more um more more tea this morning. <laughs> yeah, I've had I've had two cups of coffee. I'm I'm going. Oh, well. oh, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking a lot about trade shows. So I want to ask you mm. the question: Do you think attending trade shows is essential for growing a wholesale business or not? No. no okay. As I said, for me, it works really well, mm-hmm. and it, and it helped me build really quickly. I do know some other brands who have never been to a single trade fair and are doing really well. Okay. So for them. They need, they still need to get that attention somehow. So um, one brand in particular, I know she's fantastic on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, she's high profile, high profile, so a lot of people are approaching her, mm-hmm. and she's now actively sort of going out and approaching people as well. So if if you're good at that side of things, mm-hmm. you don't need to do the trade fairs. Yeah, as I said, it. The trade fair suit my personality, yeah. um, you know, and I can get a bit lazy about contacting new people and <laughs> a bit lazy about my, my social media marketing, but yeah. Yeah, so so there's lots of different kind of models and ways you can do this. It just comes down to finding the one that works best for your particular business and your personality and what you're comfortable with. Yeah. Cool. So let's talk a little bit about the rest of your life because, you know, I'm a big believer in, you know, work and life are kind of intertwined and Mm. one informs the other. So how do you kind of balance or, or combine your work and the rest of your life? What is kind of a typical day or typical week look like to you? Well, at the moment, um, and it changes depending on the time of year. Right. So the whole idea of work-life balance, you know, I used to feel really bad that I didn't have this, this fantastic work-life balance and what was wrong with me. Whereas I realise that I get it more so over a period of a year rather than a week or a month. So I know that I will make most of my income in the last three months of the year. Mm-hmm. That's where probably... Uh, 50 to 75% of my income will come in those three months. So I embrace that rather than sort of trying to fight it is I, those last three months, I will work ridiculous hours. And my poor five-year-old daughter knows that, okay, mummy's really busy until Christmas. (laughs) And and everything, she just constantly keeps hearing after Christmas, after Christmas, Mm So I think it's she's going to get to this point whether she's either going to love Christmas or hate it. <laughs> she's either going to love it because, hey, I get my mummy back after yeah. Christmas or she's going to hate it because it's this lead up to Christmas. Mummy does, you know, mummy comes and eats the dinner with the family and that's pretty much all she sees of me. So, but we've kind of accepted that and the family's accepted that. And then I try and take most of January off mm-hmm. um, and that sort of often bleeds into sort of February. I'm then not taking off, but I'm quite quiet in terms of my sales because that's when my design brain really sort of kicks back in and 
I'm doing lots of not necessarily design for work, but I'm doing lots of painting or photography or something just to get that that muse back again and sort of say, yes. hi, I'm here, <laughs> yes. um, which I find really important. Yeah, it can so, be easy to lose track of the muse, I think. It is. And it's really, I used to do two trade fairs a year. Mm-hmm. So basically the way that my year would look was around June 1st. I would have to start preparing for the April trade fair. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, not April, the August. August, yeah. Both starts of day, yeah, um, for the August trade fair. And so you'd be madly preparing for that for two months. Wow. Then I would do that trade fair and then I would be nonstop until Christmas. Um, so you basically yeah. had a full-on six months where it was just nonstop work. yeah. yeah. And then if I was going to do the February trade fair is I found January 1st I had to start preparing for that trade fair. Right. And I found I had no, and I did a couple of years of this, and I found I had no time to be designing new work and to to be refueling. So that's when I sort of decided to, to cut back to the, the once a year. Right. But back to your original question, my day, sort of up in the morning, unfortunately, these days. <laughs> so I actually have to get up and moving, take her to school. So by the time I'm back, it's about nine. Yeah. And then it'll just depend on what's on the books, really. Um, if I've got a stack of orders, I'll be sort of working on those. If I don't have orders, that's when I sort of really start focusing on my, my marketing, either sort of marketing, my admin or designing and pick up my daughter in the afternoon, sort of play with her for an hour or two until my husband finishes work. Then I often go back to the studio until dinner and um, have, we always have dinner with the family, yeah. um, the three of us together. And then often I'll go back to work, but it's sort of a bit more of my playtime of an mm-hmm. evening. So designing new things and yeah. that sort of stuff. And I'm trying to get stricter about not working weekends as well, unless mm-hmm. it's those last three months. I've found that's really important, not just for me, but for the family. Yes. Um, you know, my daughter, especially now that she's started school, you know, that's her time and, and we do stuff together. So, yeah. Yeah, that's really important, I think, that. And I, I don't – yeah, that word balance kind of is, is a misnomer, I think. Uh, mm. It's more of – I don't know, it's just a flow, a dynamic flow, and you kind of – you have to set your own boundaries, which can yeah. be so hard. Oh, definitely. But, you know, and it's also about educating your family about your boundaries because especially when you work at home and you've got small children in your case, and, mm. or, or I think – your husband worked at home for a while or does he still work from um, home? So he still works from home. Yeah. So, yeah, we – I mean, we don't really – so his, his office is inside the house <clears throat> and then I've built – we built my studio as a, a shed in the backyard. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, the, the shed's nicer than the house at this point. We've got a fixer-upper with enough land so I can build the shed. But so. a nice view. <laughs> it does. So Check um, out Melanie's Instagram. What's your Instagram? Uh, kimono reincarnate. Yeah, you'll see the beautiful. We actually live about what twenty minutes away from each other. Yeah, so yeah. The, the beautiful <laughs> landscape in which we live, which is fantastic, yes. and it's it's wonderful. So we moved away from the city for that reason, and and luckily my um, husband's work. Um, after about a month of commuting to Brisbane every day, they said, oh, do you want to work from home? And that's made a huge difference yeah. for us because, to be honest, I'm a hopeless cook. Um, and I really don't Welcome to the club. <laughs> <laughs> he does all the cooking for the family. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and he's um, – I think because 
as I said um, earlier, he was sick. So mm. while he was recovering, he was the stay-at-home dad for a couple of years. Yes. So he and my daughter are very close. And um, he's more sort of, I think he's the more nurturing of the two of mm. us. I can kind of get lost in my own little world a bit. Yeah, you and I sound very similar. <laughs> I'm exactly the same. <laughs> but the other thing I find as well with, again, with that, there's a really good book called The Divided Heart mm-hmm. and it's about being a mother and being creative mm-hmm. because it is quite a struggle. When you sort of you get into that, that creative flow, it's actually really hard to stop and yes. I kind of I almost resent having to stop at mm. times and before my daughter started school and my husband was a stay-at-home dad, I would actually go into studio lockdown for a few days Right, where no one wants to come into the studio. My husband would sneak into the studio with a fresh cup of tea and some some biscuits or something and then sneak out sort of thing because I was in the zone. And that worked really well. But, of course, my daughter's growing because then I could take off whatever time I wanted. Yes. Whereas now that my daughter's schedule is locked in to this, you know, these school hours, I have to adjust to that myself. Yes. So one thing I really try and do, she's very creative herself is we try and do some creative stuff as, together mm-hmm. so in my studio she has her own desk awesome. um, <laughs> which she just loves and admittedly I would love to say that we sit in there for hours together happily creating but it's probably got about an hour max to <laughs> start getting okay it's time mummy needs her own space in her studio now you know but we we'll try and you know recently we we took two easels out in the backyard and we both did some painting together and or we'll go on a, a sketching date like I'll be sketching for something so she has her own sketchbook which mm-hmm. is the same quality as mine um, the same quality pens as mine so that she feels equal and yeah. that her creativity is as as good as mine yeah Yeah. exactly fantastic so we try that's one thing i've tried to do to get that balance with her so i can still create Mm. but not ignore her if Mm. that makes sense yeah that sounds fantastic and i can imagine how difficult that would be i mean i know all about the the zone you get into and (laughs) usually it's my cats who annoy me or my husband (laughs) bless him Um, yeah that's a good (laughs) yeah it helps to have a supportive one so that makes a big difference so that's some amazing insight. I'm definitely going to link to that book in the show notes, The Divided Heart, so mm. people can check that out. So let's move back to the business side of things now. What's been the best marketing move you feel you've made for your wholesale business? I think the wholesale again, and I, I don't want to keep going back to the trade fair, mm. but it really has been. Yeah. <laughs> and again, as I said, it's not absolutely necessary but that's what has worked for me mm-hmm. so best marketing for wholesale is definitely the um the trade fairs mm-hmm. in terms of marketing for my business which has also helped me um get wholesale accounts mm-hmm. um has been instagram right yep and i think that's being a visual person instagram works for me yeah. there are some people who are terribly witty with words so twitter might be <laughs> their you know their better forum and the other thing that I think I wasn't really expecting, but was some of the, the more high-end craft shows, mm. the things like Finders Keepers, um, down in Melbourne, there's the big design market. And out of those, I've acquired a number of wholesale accounts. Okay. Um, I think because they're of a 
particular level and a particular professionalism mm -hmm. that some stores actually go to those looking for people um, rather than sort of just your local craft market because they think, oh, well, they're the they're hobbyists. Yes, whereas yes. Once you're sort of doing the more expensive ones. Mm. And they are uh, expensive. They are. Mm -hmm. And so they're a commitment so people are realising that you're at that level. So um, do you think something like the finest, uh, in, in Australia, the finest keepers or the big design market are a good kind of middle ground for those who aren't quite sure if they want to do a trade show? Possibly. I mean, I haven't gotten that many wholesale accounts from them. Right. Yeah, but it, I have acquired a number. Or, yep. yeah, and through the advertising as well that happens. Yes. But it also, like you said, it kind of shows a particular level of commitment. If you yes. are doing one of those, you know, massive design markets, you're, you're, even on your social media or your, your general own marketing, you know, if, if shops are looking at you or they come across you and they've seen that you've done those things, they'll probably take you more seriously yep. in a way. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So let's talk about... Um, some top tips. What yep. are the top three things any maker thinking of starting to sell wholesale needs to focus on? Okay, pricing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if nothing else, if absolutely nothing else, focus on your pricing. Mm -hmm. Focus on initially getting your catalogue right, right because that is going to be the most valuable document. Um, I know people that have started out wholesale without that catalogue, mm -hmm. but then if you're having to worry about people seeing things um, in person, you're really limiting yourself to a geographical area. Yes. Yeah, whereas if you've got a really professional-looking catalogue, making sure, of course, that your images are crisp and clear, yeah, that's your most valuable document. Number three, I think, is just, just your marketing and just yeah. getting out there, yeah. And you have to, you know, you have to do that. Um, you can't just you can't just be the builder and they will come like any business. No. You really need Wouldn't to be nice. Oh God, yes. You know, I'm saying <laughs> people have said, you know, I just want to make pretty stuff, and you know, yeah, like I just want to make nice things. Yeah, exactly, yeah. and that would be wonderful. But unfortunately, that's not the way life works. No, that's absolutely right. But it's also there's this wonderful, you know, when you've put in the hard yards mm. and you get these accounts. It's, an amazing sense of achievement yeah, knowing, right. you know, I did this, yeah. I built this. So Yeah, it's yeah. very good for your self-confidence, I think, when, you know, you can look back and see what you've created out of nothing. You know, it's not, it's very different to having a job where you might be good at your job or even excellent at your job, but it's kind of someone – there's a quote, um, if you don't start building your dream, someone will hire <laughs> you to build theirs. <laughs> that was actually my quote. Oh, no way! <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, so um, – <laughs> Yeah, so it's um, if you don't build your dream, someone will hire you to build theirs. Wow. I love, I, and I love <laughs> that you brought that up as well, um, because to me, it just resonates with me so much. Because mm. in between, you know, sort of my businesses and usually part time is I have actually worked for other people, mm. and one I was a um, sort of a, an admin assistant and PA to an engineer. And it was a small business and, you know, I really was building his business. Yes. I'm thinking, why am I doing that when I could be building my own, you know? Yeah. And I, I found it quite frustrating mm. being in that position. So, And yeah. who's that by, do you know? Um, it's by Tony Gaskins. Tony Gaskins. 
awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll again, I'll I'll link to that in the show notes. And put it up there. <laughs> That's a lay. I can't believe out of all the quotes in all the world, <laughs> I brought up the one that you were going to mention at the end of That's the, right, the podcast. I, I actually had two that really. Oh, what, what was the other was, one? So the other one is, and it's one. It, I don't know who it's by, mm-hmm. but it's you can do anything, but you can't do everything. Yes. And I'm actually trying to teach my five-year-old that as well. She's very, very driven. Like, she's only five, but um, she's already planning her first businesses. Impressive. And we've got, you know, sort of living in a, in a rural town, there's a number of people that have their little um, fruit stalls out the front of yes. their house and, and that sort of thing. So she decided that she's going to um, sort of open up a, an art stall and, you know, so she's so mummy, I have to do a bit of work before before bed. And, <laughs> you know. So yeah, getting she's the entrepreneurial just, spirit happening early there. Yes, yes, which is great. Yeah, so trying fantastic. to get her to embrace that and yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I've thoroughly enjoyed chatting with you. It's been really fun. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's been great. <laughs> And um, those of you listening who uh, join us for uh, Wholesale Know How will be blessed enough to have Mel as your teacher along with me. So I think that will be awesome fun and very, very informative. Really looking forward to it. (laughs) Thanks, Mel. Great. Thanks a lot, Jess. Thank you so much for being here and listening. I hope that episode was helpful and informative for you. And if you're all fired up to give wholesaling a go and build your business that way, head on over to wholesaleknowhow.com. Join us for the course 30 days. We will get you sorted and you will know exactly the steps to take to set up a successful wholesale arm to your handmade business. Remember, this is the last time I'm running the course live, so don't miss this opportunity to learn all you need to know to successfully sell via wholesale. Thank you so much for being here. You are awesome. And I will be back again next week with another episode. Until then, keep thriving. Bye for now.